The Athletic. All English, Scottish and Welsh football was postponed this past weekend as a mark of respect following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. You can read Ollie Kay's opinion piece on The Athletic where he asks if it was the right thing to do and you can get more on the story across eight Premier League club-specific podcasts across our network. At the time of recording, there could be further disruption in the Premier League and for British clubs in Europe too. Rangers' Champions League match with Napoli has been moved back 24 hours to Wednesday and away fans have been barred from attending due to limitations in police resources. You can keep up to date with everything that's happening at theathletic.com. So no games in the UK then, but there was football played all across Europe, including Italy, where the champions AC Milan won at Sampdoria 2-1. In May, the club won their first Scudetto since 2011 and returned to the Champions League after an eight-year absence. So coming up, You'll hear my conversation with James Horncastle and Matt Slater about how the club was turned around both on and off the pitch. And we'll tell you all you need to know about their new owners, Redbird Capital, including their links with the Yankees, Drake and LeBron James, and also find out their plans for AC Milan in the future. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. Gioca su Olivieri, prima bella per Rafa. Rafa, 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 se ne va Rafa, Rafa, Rafa. Gol! Raffaellino! È il derby più bello del mondo fino a questo momento. Raffaellino ancora. Non solo me ne ha fatto uno, ha fatto anche il secondo. Let's get into it then. I'm joined by uh, Matt Slater from The Athletic and our Italian football writer James Horncastle as well. Uh, Milan back in the Champions League, of course, this week, winning the Milan derby at the weekend too. Be- before we get on to the financial side, because obviously Matt will be chomping at the bit here with uh, with Redbird Capital Partners. Um, this is some journey that Milan have been on, James, over the last, I don't know, should we say decade? <laughs> Yeah, you can say decade. Uh, I mean, it's remarkable that their former owners, uh, Silvio Berlusconi and Adriano Galliani, are back with their retirement project, which is Monza. They've got them promoted from the third to the first division. I mean, in that time, AC Milan have gone through four owners now. You know, Berlusconi, Galliani, the mysterious Yong Hong Lee, Elliott uh, Management, hedge fund uh, from the United States. They effectively repossessed the club. The club was going to the wall. Um, I mean, it could have been another Fiorentina, if you want to give an example, uh, when Fiorentina went bust and had to basically start again at the bottom of the football pyramid. There's a feeling that that was a possibility for AC Milan, unless uh, Elliot uh, took over when they did, um, because Lee Yong Hong defaulted on the loans that Elliot had provided him with. And now... Uh, We're just a few months from Milan winning the league title for the first time uh, since 2011. And, you know, even as that was happening, takeover talks were going on. uh, One with a a Bahraini hedge fund called InvestCorp. um, And and then uh, the one that did happen, which is with Redbird Capital from the United States. So, you know, even then in May, uh, Jerry Cardinale, the founder 
uh, of Redbird was present, uh, Matt Sansiro um, and in Reggio Emilia um, for the, the final game of the season, which confirmed uh, that Milan won the league. So it's quite remarkable, really, when you think of this decade as being one of Milan's decline and fall, that you know, Elliot essentially was able to turn it around. I think they exceeded their own expectations. Uh, I think they wanted to establish the team in the top four again because they've been out of the Champions League for seven years and instead they won the league. How much credit do we have to give Elliot then? Because a US hedge fund turning around one of the greats of, of European football, I think that a lot of people would have been sceptical at that, wouldn't they? Yeah, I remember at the time, yeah, people hadn't heard of Elliot in the football space. You know, I think they... They were a creditor of Gerard Lopez, uh, the former Lille owner, um, but uh, it felt like they were new to football. And so reading up on them, people were quite concerned. They were reading about an activist hedge fund, a vulture fund. Yeah, they thought that uh, they would come in and, and sell off uh, the best uh, best players at AC Milan. I mean, that was just never going to work. I mean, if this investment was going to be successful for them, they had to make the team better, make the business better, and then they could sell it, sell it on for the profit, which they have done. It took them some time to figure football out. And I think they would um, they would put their hands up and admit that. Um, certainly, you know, the first year um, they had Leonardo as a sporting director, who'd obviously been at the club before, and then left to become a coach and then left to head up the project at Paris Saint-Germain. Very different project. You know, when they are backed by the Qataris, it's essentially a state-funded club where you could spend whatever you want. Um, that is something that AC Milan could not do uh, under Elliot. And so they made some mistakes early on uh, in the transfer market. And then they gradually got aligned to what they wanted to do, uh, which was have a kind of blend, really, um, between analytics and and some people with knowledge of the, the football space within Italy. So Paolo Maldini, their, their technical director, Ricky Massara. And you've seen the team get progressively younger. You've seen them be very original in their, in their thinking when it comes to recruitment. Yeah, they do not fish in the same ponds that other Italian clubs do, which generally is within Italy or buying the cast-offs of other top clubs around Europe um, on expensive contracts, uh, overpaying. Yeah, that's just not what Milan um, have done. Ivan Gazidis, their chief executive, has described it as, as kind of turning around the super tanker, you know. Um, and we all know how difficult that is. I mean, how many uh, podcasts have you done like this chap is about Manchester United? Oh, um, God, you know, James, I mean, don't, don't. United. I mean, don't. Must be in three figures. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I think Elliot. I mean, they, they, they it couldn't have worked out better uh, for them to sell the club at a time when uh, yeah they are about to go on an open top bus parade post COVID. You know, thousands of fans out in in Milan to celebrate with them, and then to sell for the profit that they've made to what they believe to be the right successors as owners in terms of they can carry on what they've started. Yeah, it feels like a case study really in how these private equity investments in football clubs can be successful. And a very important point that James made there, Matt, if, you know, for all the for all the holistic stuff, for all they finding young players, for turning this club around on the field, they they've made a lot of money 
out of Milan. What an investment for Elliot. Well done. Um, yeah, you know, congratulations uh, to Milan on the Scudetto. Uh, I think we had some sort of financial award. I'd be handing it to Elliot. They basically got this club for 300 million euros. Right, it was handed to. Him. That was that was the loan they gave the Chinese guy that he then defaulted on about a year later. So they 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 pick up this club for for three hundred million euros. What was it four or five years later? They're selling it for one point two. It gets better than that. They're actually lending Redbird half of that six hundred million to complete the deal, called a, a vendor's loan note. Um, they're not that that's that happens. That that's that's quite that's quite regular in business. In fact. It's, there's an element of that at Newcastle United as well. But um, this is a big vendor's note. That's a big loan, right, at 7%. Oh, and they, retra- they, retain some sh- they retain a seat around the table as well. So they've got some upside going forward. What a deal. And as James, James has outlined, you, you could argue they've earned it. They have returned one of the world's great football clubs to the top table. And they've done it by being financially savvy, you know, lots of lots of cost control, lots of restraint. AC were in terrible, terrible, terrible trouble. They were in FFP problems. They were miles off the pace on the pitch. You know, so you know, James has talked about the data. How many times have we discussed that with city with American ownership groups? But you know, they've delivered. It's not just talk. They've got a young, exciting squad. A lot of continuity there as well. You know, they've they've used a lot of Italian know-how on the ground. So they've not just come in and said, "Oh, we know it all." We, we you know, because we, we run an NFL team or we're good in baseball, we're gonna, we're gonna do it our way. No, no, no. They've 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 listened to local knowledge as well. Um, so there's an awful lot there to, to to discuss and praise. But yeah, in terms of an investment in football, wow. And it's funny because um, you know, James was, was hinting at Elliot's reputation before, and yes, absolutely new to football. But uh, within within the sort of kind of business world, Elliot Elliot as a as a as a as a private equity fund. Uh, <laughs> have an interesting reputation. One of the most aggressive funds out there. These are people that in the past have held countries to ransom. They have like, you know, they've taken they've taken um, battleships. They've repossessed battleships from countries before. They don't mess about. But anyway, they um they've they've delivered on the football pitch. Well done. Not not often do I struggle to think of a follow up question to a, to an answer, but but I I don't know where to go from the battleship. What I tell you, what, it was Argentina. Right. They turned it around. Yeah. We've gone from super tankers to battleships. Yeah, so there yeah. we are. Still struggling for a follow up question. Let's move on to Redbird then. Who are they, Matt? Well, they're like the cuddlier version, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you know, another fund uh, run by, well, set up by a guy called Jerry Cardinale, who, who we have, we, a name we keep hearing every, you know, on this on this podcast and and, and elsewhere. He's he's really into football, he's really into sports. Uh, Ex Goldman Sachs um, owns Toulouse, uh, owns a slither of Fenway Sports Group, owns about eleven percent of them. Of course, they run Liverpool and the Boston Red Sox and Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, has a long-term relationship with the New York Yankees, which is really significant here because as partners in this AC Milan project are the Yankees' ownership group. So, you know, it, it's it's these sort of tangled webs that we are learning now about particularly US private equity and US sports ownership groups. The number of times you hear these partnerships go forward. So, so Redbird have uh, been looking at European football for some time. Um, this is their biggest 
purchased by by a long shot. Jerry Cardinale, as, as the name would suggest, is Italian American. There's been a few of those that have that have bought in Serie A, um, but he is. I don't think he's just doing this purely for love and the, you know wanting wanting somewhere nice to go on holiday. Um, I think he spots that Milan uh, are undervalued. That's 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 the sort of central premise here that you you get time and time again. It's the business fashion capital of Italy, fashion capital of the world. Um, they won seven European Cup Champions Leagues, really successful. I think you know I think the second most uh, Serie A titles tied with Inter, just behind you. Well, quite a long way behind Juve, but you know a, a truly great historic club that's that, that has that has been in trouble. So on the way up. They just returned to Deloitte's money list last well this year. Um, only only still below Everton and not far above Villa, so that's kind of kind of pegs them where where Serie A is in the, in in the pecking order these days. But the bet they're making is we're big and famous. Milan's a great city, great brand. Serie A was a was was the place to be in the nineties. Has lost its way, but you know what? The Americans are taking over. James and I, well, we could probably list the number of Americans that own clubs there. We are going to supercharge this entire league. We can be better commercially. And I think the big one we're going to discuss in a minute is the stadium. So that's that's what this is about. There are two things there that, that Matt mentioned. First of all, the overall American influence, James, within Italian football now and, and how welcome that is in general by Italian football fans. But secondly, the potential that is there, not only with Milan, but with Serie A, bearing in mind, I mean, we've talked many times on on the pods, that it's probably the most competitive of the top five leagues in the sense of you probably have more potential title winners there than in any of the other top five. Yeah, I think that that stands up, uh, Chappers. I mean, the title race went down to the final day last season. It was really thrilling uh, if you followed it from start to finish. Um, and and also they've had three different champions in the last three years. Um, okay, it's the big three. Uh, Juventus, Milan and Inter. It's not like it was in the 80s when you had Hellas, Verona and you had Napoli and then at the beginning of the 90s, you had Samp winning it. But I think there's a feeling that at the start of every year, three teams will definitely be in contention, but there might be another four um, who could who could cause a bit of a surprise. Now, American investment in Serie A has been sort of going back uh, a decade now. Uh, I think most high profile, uh, the most important really was Jim Pilotta's investment in, in AS Roma. He wanted to do what a lot of subsequent American investors would like to do, which is really kind of uh, leverage uh, the brand that is Rome, uh, leverage the culture that you have in Italy. It's just so many things that you can tap into there. And also, City Act clubs, for the most part, do not own their stadiums. Uh, the stadiums, more often than not, were built in the 1920s and 1930s when uh, Italy last hosted the World Cup, something Mussolini uh, was big on. Um, yeah, sport, athleticism, big part of his ideology. And since then, stadiums have not been renovated, new stadiums have not been built. And, and so if you can build a stadium, it obviously will add a lot of value to the club. If you're an investor, it'll help you make a return on your investment. But in a financial fair play framework as well, 
it gives you the chance to make revenue, which then you can plow back into the team. The team becomes better. You get in the Champions League more. You win things by being in the Champions League more, more eyeballs on your club, better sponsorship contracts. That's what it's all about. And Pelotti tried for a decade, yeah, essentially pri- to privately fund a stadium build, and it just never happened. And you know, we've seen other uh, investors come in see the frustrations uh, Fiorentina with Rocco Camiso in terms of getting a, a new stadium project off the ground there. It's been very difficult. Inter and Milan, I would say really driven by Milan uh, and Elliot, um, really have wanted to, to build a new stadium adjacent to San Siro. Um, you know, that has uh, touched a lot of nerves, uh, I think, uh, within at the Italian media, elements of the fan base as well, because of all the memories associated with San Siro, this, this, this feeling that it is one of the, the wonders of the world uh, in, in football as, as a stadium. But the reality is, is that Inter and Milan, there's a gap between what they make from their stadium and what the other top clubs in Europe make from their stadiums. It's, a, it's on average about 75 million. At its most extreme, the difference is 100 120 million. Um, and when people ask, you know, why are Milan and Inter not as competitive as they once were, even before we get to the TV rights argument and how far they lag behind the Premier League, you've got the stadium argument as well. So it is about infrastructure. And I think just as Palotas saw there was a real opportunity in Southern Europe to build a, a new stadium for, for for live entertainment because you know it's just it's just difficult for the Rolling Stones and U2 to play at the Stadio Olimpico. They can't get all their trucks in and all that sort of thing. Similarly, at San, at similarly San Siro. San Siro is a great venue, but there could be a better venue for these things, and it could be a venue that 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 adds value and, and brings a lot of revenue to to AC Milan and gets it back to where it once was. Yeah, no, I would massively agree. The stadium issue with Italian football is massive. You know, we've heard. Mark, haven't we? We've had we've had um, uh, Krauss family who, who've bought into Palmer. You know, we had the guy from Venezia. They, they all say the same thing. They, they they absolutely love Italian football, Italian wine, Italian food. They they love all that. The stadiums, the state. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I know James is James love you know so 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 immersed in Italian culture. He's been very polite about the San Siro. I'm I I, I like Italy. I'm, I've got a slightly different take on San Siro. It's a beautiful dump. Can I just can I just say to the to the people on the athletic, if you use this bit for social media, can you only tag can you only tag Matt in and not include either me or James? Thanks. Listen, I did the selfies with the amazing staircases. I did all that. I did. I loved it. But the first thing you first thing that you you meet when you come out the um, the tube station there is guys with shopping trolleys full of beers. Who will sell you, mm. you know, one euro cans of mm. cheap lager for two euros? Right? Then you then you sort of kind of walk past this horrible metal fence to this row of quite nice food and booze, which is all just sort of uh, pop up tents and well, not tents, but like trucks, food trucks, Calabrian yeah, sausage the, baguettes, the, the, the sausage yeah. baguettes, uh, wonderful. How much are AC Milan and Inter making out of that? Zero. And you've got mm. all the scarves, all that there. Zero. Right. So all the best food. Is from is is from trucks outside. You get inside the San Siro, right? Like I, I the the toilets were were interesting. Um, the 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 food. Sorry, is, is, do they sell food inside the San Siro? James, have you have you have you tried to get warm food? I there weren't wasn't any available when I went in the away section. And I and I'm led to believe that that Elliot and Redbird have been a couple of times and, could, and and they just couldn't believe it either. 
you know, climbing over TV cables. Uh, I think one area was flooded, you know, you know, rolling their shoes and socks. I mean, just it's 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 a it's beautiful. It's historic. It's iconic. All those things. It's like 40 years out of date. At least. Isn't the interesting thing here? I'd rather give a guy two euros <laughs> for a can of lager outside the stadium than 15 euros yeah. to some wealthy financier for exactly the same inside the stadium. Mark, that's why you're a dinosaur. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not the customer of the future, Mark. <laughs> get, but get think, think of... Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I can see it from their business, but I'm also about. I can see it from their. I, I can obviously see it from Redbirds or Elliot's perspective, and 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 how you maximise your revenues from your stadia. All I'm trying to, it. All I'm trying to highlight is the difference between authentic and just making money. I suppose. Yes. And 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 you know, fans are not stupid and. Will no. not want to be taken for a ride. That's kind 100%. of that's 100%. kind of. My and look, point. we've 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 had that debate, haven't we, at West Ham and the Olympic Stadium and the amount they were charging for their beers, right? It's it's a it's a really good point. I'll, yeah. I'll make I'll make a, a serious point that James, will, I'm sure, will have stuff to say because this is the this is one of the the big I would say probably the biggest decision that Redbird have to make at the moment. Everything else is fine, right? I think there'll be an awful lot of talk of continuity. I mean, we're almost certainly going to get um, uh, AC games on the Yankees sports network. I suspect AC Milan will be playing at Yankee Stadium very, very soon yeah, next yeah. summer. You know, there'll be merchandise in each other's shops, all of that obvious stuff. The big decision they've got to make is the stadium. So the idea, as James is outlining, is to basically rebuild the San Siro in partnership again with Inter. Big problems at Inter. Do you trust Inter as a partner who are going through the same sort of havoc that AC went through a few years ago? Almost exactly the same havoc. All right, so there's there's that. Or do you do what Juve do, have done? You go out on your own, you build your own stadium, and you properly own it. They've Elliot have already identified a site, a brownfield site. I think it's an old steelworks in a part of uh, Milan called Sesto. There's pictures out there. I suspect AC are leaning towards... Let's have our own stadium. I think the stadium uh, conversation uh, in Milan has been very interesting over the last four years um, because I think right from the get-go, uh, Milan have wanted to drive forward a project. They've yeah, got all the drawings, they've hired architects, they've gone through possible designs. And there have been a couple of things that have complicated this. One is COVID, where the, the city is thinking about surviving rather than thriving. So all of a sudden, kind of stadium projects, just not priority in the mayor's office anymore. The other, as Matt alluded to, Inter, um, and what's been going on there. Uh, we've written about it on, on, on The Athletic, how Suning, the owners of Inter, their business interests have been crushed um, significantly in, uh, in, in China. And you also look at the, how, how that club was, was, was being run. Yeah, they, they spent an awful lot of money um, over the last few years. It's often been sort of the owner cutting checks to do that rather than what we've seen at Milan, which is let's sign young players early, uh, buy low, sell high, sustainable business operation. And so even the mayor put out a statement I think in 2021, saying, uh, I need to see from Inter, I need some cl clarity whether they can be a good partner in this project. Now, Inter really pushed back strongly on that and condemned what the mayor had said. But 
at the moment, as, as the mayor has got re-elected, because he was also standing ele- for election, that was a that was another factor. The stadium got the green light, but then you have all these groups basically saying, actually, we want a say on this as well. And he has been kind of criticised for basically um, saying, well, I'm backing this project. But it's kind of it, it's it's it feels like it hasn't moved forward a lot. Milan would say it's kept moving forward, but it doesn't feel like it's 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 come on. Uh, it's accelerated as we've come out of COVID. And so there is this opportunity in, in, in Sesto San Giovanni. And as much as people would would like them to, you know, sort of, well, not even rebuild, San, uh, not even build a stadium next to San Siro, but just do what we've seen at Anfield or at uh, other clubs where they've redeveloped the existing stadium. The problem with that is the cost of redeveloping San Siro is as much or as prohibitive as building a completely new one, except... If you were just to redevelop San Siro, you would get lesser results and less revenue than you would from building a new one. So it, it doesn't really make a lot of business sense to, to redevelop San Siro, uh, as, 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 as much as that tugs at all of our heartstrings. And of course, as, as Matt has said, I mean, one of the kind of very underrated parts of Juventus' success when they won the league nine years in a row is the Allianz Stadium. That is the key difference. That's something that no one else had in Italy. And it guaranteed Juventus an amount of revenue, extra revenue every year that, that, that their, the competitors didn't have. And they could reinvest it in the team. The team could get better. That's why they were so dominant. And so, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're the ownership group of, of AC Milan, or if you're an ownership group of any club in Italy at the moment, you want that, I think, for your club. And, and certainly, why would you share a stadium? If you're not playing one Sunday, you're away from home and Inter have to play there uh, that Sunday. It's, 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 it's a weekend when you can't, I don't know, bring the NFL over. It's a weekend when you, you can't have a, a stadium or a conference. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot going for Sesto San Giovanni. It's not as central to Milan um, as, as, as San Siro is. I think there's an American conglomerate involved as well, which kind of would facilitate it. The business case for Sesta San Giovanni is quite compelling, but I'd say much more compelling. That's such a massive point, James, about what you can do if you own your own stadium on the weekends when you're away. Mm-hmm. And if you are sharing it with another football club who are going to take their revenues on their weekends when they're at home, you're you're actually losing out on you're losing out on your free weekends, aren't you? That's absolutely it, and 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 at the moment, um, yeah, they uh, there is a, there's San Siro, there's a there's a company which is set up which Inter and Milan are partners in. That's the kind of revenue sharing, and that's also where they pay rent uh, to. You don't want to be a renter of your own <laughs> of your own yeah. home. You look at the the, the possibilities uh, around San Siro. It's not a twenty four seven three hundred sixty five days a year stadium in the way that. A new stadium could be for, for AC Milan, where they have conferences on the Monday and the Tuesday, and where you can you can go and just spend time, dine, even if it's not a match day, uh, go out and do things with the kids around the stadium, uh, which all filters into the money you can make from it. That's just that's just not possible at the moment, Sansu. I want to move it on to the bigger picture of, of sporting organisations and uh, and sporting links, I suppose, before we bring the pod to an end. Do you think, Matt, at the moment there are there are, th- there are sort of three types of, of football clubs, really. Those who are just 
literally on their own, doing it their way. Others that are part of an ownership who run football groups, Manchester City being obviously a prime example of the City Football Group. And then there are, are others, and this is a prime example of one, who are sporting groups, actually. And you mentioned you mentioned here with, with Redbird, obviously they've, they've got that in, investment in uh, Fenway and therefore that's Liverpool and that's Red Sox, but they've also got involvement with the Yankees as well. They've got a stake, haven't they, in Rajasthan Royals? Yes, they have. Yeah, the I IPL. Yeah. So they've got a 15% stake in, yeah. in them. Yeah, they're a bit of everything, aren't they? Yeah. as well. You know, you look at the 49ers with Leeds. Um they seem to be those three types of models. Now, if you are the standalone club, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. big standalone club, are you going to get left behind? Do you think? Maybe. Look, I think this was you're on you're on something there. In that, I think we are in a really interesting time of sort of competing ideas. And you see this in business from from time to time. You know, do we get do we go big? Do we need to be in everything? Right, and then they'll everyone will do that, and everyone will build these large conglomerates, and then it will go the other way and go. Do you know what? No, that doesn't work because we get distracted and because we lose focus on the core stuff, the really important stuff, and then you'll get this, you know, swing in the other direction, and then everyone will sell off those those subsidiaries and go. No, 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 hundred percent focus. You'll you'll hear stuff about bandwidth around the board and all those kind of buzzwords. I think football's in a bit of a state of flux at the moment. You know, we we had that kind of rise of the American-style sports empire. And I guess the Cronkies are a really good example. The Glazers, where you'd have your NFL team and, you know, and then you'd sort of fill out from their baseball, hockey. Da, da, da. Oh, we like a bit of soccer now. Well, let's go, let's go have a soccer venture. Uh, and then you'd have your sports network. You'd have maybe a hospitality business, which is, that's another part, by the way, of the, of the Yankees' Redbird Empire. They've got this fantastically successful business in the States called Legends, uh, which involves the Cowboys, the Yankees. There's some clues here. Yankees, redeveloped, you know, Yankee Stadium, Cowboys, amazing stadium. All right. These are, these are the yeah. kind of brains yeah. that Redbird are bringing to the table, right? People who have built stadiums, who have built fantastic hospitality businesses. We haven't mentioned that as silent partners in the group, LeBron James, Drake, right? You know, there's a bit of there's a bit of LA, there's a bit of showbiz in there as well. So I think you're absolutely right. There are competing ideas right now. Do we go multi-club? Do we have City, Man City, Cascade down from there, where we um, share know-how, we we use, we have footprints around the globe in key development markets, and that that helps us to spot talent, help us to sort of uh, shop windows for players. Do we go that kind of American idea of, you know, kind of taking the best ideas from baseball and, and NFL and sharing them around? Or do you go, yeah, old fashioned standalone? And I don't think there's a there's a there's not a winner at the moment. There's there's a sort of battle of ideas. And I and I yeah, I guess I guess someone could lose and be left behind. I think it's too early to say. I think there's a lot of questions being asked about the multi club model. It's all very well if you're if you're the city football group and money's no money money's no you know, end, no object. But are the other multi club models really nailing it? You know, some are, some aren't. Red Bull's a good example, but there are others where they just sort of seem to be kind of meandering along. But on this model here, James, right, like, you know, and, and Matt's already mentioned the shirts, um, you know, Yankees, Milan shirts, Rajasthan Royals have probably got the most distinctive kit, I would argue, in, in IPL, you know, the pink and blue kit that, that they have there. You could easily see those shirts being sold in, in each 
different shot. The, the idea of, you know, Drake being involved, I mean, this is a very simplistic point, but if Drake then does a does a, a world tour and plays Milan, Anfield, Yankees Stadium, India, th- they're all linked there and the revenue comes back in. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of negatives and people will be very quick to point them out. But if you're looking at very simplistic positives, there are two. Absolutely. Uh, I think the way to look at at uh, the takeover of AC Milan is and and just Redbird's model. I think um, it's it's seeing these clubs as part of um, the convergence between sport, media, and entertainment. And I, I think you know that is something that that Cardinale has been very strong on. That these are live entertainment possibilities that's why you bring all these things together you bring that stadium development so the venues there and it's a best-in-class venue that um that uh, that everyone wants to be uh, wants to go to you've got the cultural capital of being sort of uh involved in in production companies um which are headed by lebron james and maverick carter i mean i don't know if anyone's seen the the film on netflix hustle with adam sandler uh, about basketball. I mean, essentially, there there is an actor there who is you know sort of you know, found playing in Europe who comes who's brought to the NBA. But everybody else is an NBA player in that film, and they are real NBA teams. And it's it it it, it, it you get that this seamless integration between a fictional story and real life. Um, and I think we're going to see things. We're going to see opportunities like that. Um, involved in, in with AC Milan with with European football, that's the helicopter view. If you want to, to look at this, it is it is about this growing convergence between sports, sport, media, and entertainment. Therefore, do you need to keep that helicopter view finally? Because if Milan go out the Champions League group stages and are f- and are fifth come well, however this football calendar works this year, I don't know the fifth in January. And we do this podcast again. Are we doing what the hell are Redbird doing, or are we going? bigger picture well what i would say is is the model that elliot have set up is sustainable and so yes it would be a blow for them to to let's say not qualify for the champions league but the the wage bill is under control uh in a way that it isn't at other top european clubs yeah they have assets which you know they they've <laughs> i mean it, if you were to crudely look at it in terms of the players that they've acquired ac man do not by players for more than 30, 35 million. Shard Ketelé was a, a was a, a was an exception. And it was an exception because Leeds drove up the ask the, the price because they bid uh, 35 million pounds for the player. And Bruges were like, hang on, that's a better offer. And Milan were like, well, we've got our valuation. We're going to stick to it. We know he wants to come to play for us because by the way, we're AC Milan. You know, we're, 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 we're not bidding for this player because we were the last team to stay up in the Premier League and we've got more money than uh, than the, the, the team that, that finishes first in, in, in Italy. A note to Athletic producers, if you clip this yeah, that, bit that's, up... That's I, yeah, if yeah. you clip this bit up and uh, and yeah. can you just tag James in and not me or Matt for his... I'll, I'll take, I'll take angry you from much. Milan. You can have angry from Leeds. <laughs> right. It's okay. I'm a Leeds fan, so I can say Oh, it. here we so go. go. All right. um, oh, well rescued. <laughs> Well rested. <laughs> um, but um, but ultimately, they, I mean, we've, we've just seen the last few weeks of the transfer window, one of the, the situations that Milan have had to deal with is, is Todd Bowley and Chelsea coming, knocking on their door and saying, hang on a minute, you're, you've got this Rafael Leal kid. 
we'd, we'd really like him. Now, they signed Leao for 27 million, I think, three or four years ago. Leao uh, has a buyout clause in his contracts of 150. And if you look at some of the, the, the transfer fees that have been paid for players in his position, he's probably a 100, 110 million euro player. The way that Milan have run the club over the last four years, or Elliot have run it, sustainable cost controls mean that yeah, they will be able to make money from player trading, uh, which would make them very rich if they continue to be in the Champions League. If they're, they're not in the Champions League, they can, they can draw on that as a revenue stream. And that just wasn't there when they took over. So it's a bit of a fascinating story. <laughs> it is, and and we will revisit it. I have absolutely no idea because there are there are so many different layers and levels, aren't there, Matt? Do you have a final thought? No, just to, I agree with James and and what Redbird would say. They all say this, but what Redbird would say, and I think would kind of mean, is that they they are patient, right? They are long term business builders, to use the parlance. So uh, I think they they could take the slings and arrows of misfortune in Syria for a year or two because they genuinely believe Syria. AC Milan, the new stadium—they're all—they're all upside. It's all—it's all going in the right direction. Uh, you can read plenty more from James and Matt, and comment them directly on the Athletic. <laughs> so uh, subscribe now. You pay a pound a month for the first six months by heading to theathletic.com/slash/footballpod. I'm back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. The Athletic. <laughs>